Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, uh, we are in the throes of this series that we've been going through the Psalms. Uh, hopefully you've been enjoying it. We've been going through the Psalms in that it adds and it, it, it gives us language by which we can pray to the Lord. And we've been looking at a few uh, life circumstances that many of us end up going through, uh, fear and pain. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, something that in my life has probably been one of the most powerful things and uh, so we're going to talk about praying through confession. Praying through confession. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 32. And we're going to camp out on Psalm 32 today. All right. You guys, man, it's quiet in here. You guys good? Woo, kind of. Well, maybe it was just the worship was so good. Still in it. Well, amen. Let's keep going. All right, so Psalm 32, I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll pray and dive in. Psalm 32, Psalm of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let anyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when they, it may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel with you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Father God, I just pray that, Lord, your word and these words of David, God, would begin to pierce deeper parts of us. God, that we need you to pierce, God, to get in. And God, I pray that we would see this prayer or this what David is going through, to highlight, God, maybe what we have gone through or are going through. So, Lord, let your word illuminate itself to us today. Amen. Amen. So, hey, we're going to get in it today. Um, when you fail, am I on? Yeah? Great. When you fail, when you blow it, when you make a last-minute decision that you later regret, or you make a decision that before, during, and after you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway, 
How do we process and pray through experiences of real failure before God? That's the question. That's the question we're going to ask today, or answer today. How could we experience confession that ends like this psalm here, that ends with rejoicing, shouts of deliverance, and being full of joy? How do we pray through our own dysfunction in such a way where we could land as David did in this psalm. Because I don't know about you, but that's not me. Growing up in the church or whatever, that, that's not my experience with confession. It's a lot more drama than that. So when we hear about this, this word confession, we have maybe many different negative experiences to it, or it's superfluous, or it never really made a difference in my life. But in this prayer of confession is precisely the key to life, to joy, to freedom, and confidence. So what if our failures in following Jesus, what if that was to, and if we were to pray, be able to pray through confession, what if our failures and mistakes were in our life that would actually create like a ski jump for our life that could propel us into greater maturity, greater joy, greater life. Imagine what life would be like. And that's precisely what this psalm here to do, is to help us learn the language of confession that leads to joy and confidence in life. Look at the first word, blessed. Now sometimes when you're in a church setting, you might hear uh, this word said in a different way, blessed. But we don't really use blessed in normal life, right? Like, man, I'm so blessed today. Man, I just feel so blessed. It's like, no, blessed, all right? So it's blessed. Get that religious funk off you. All right, blessed, blessed. Now, this word blessed, before we kind of dive in, this word blessed, it's, it's as if it's advertising the good life, okay? So you can drive down 35, wherever, on whatever highway, and you see billboards all the time, where it's they're trying to sell you their product, and of course, if you have their product in your hand, that's the good life, of course, and it's always, it's always the most pristine, beautiful image that if you have our product, this is the good life. Like, blessed is the person who's set up like this. That's what that word blessed means. Oh, the good fortune of those who set up is like this. Blessed. All right, so what kind of person is it? What kind of blessed person has the most desirable, enviable life? It's the person who knows that they're deeply flawed and that they have failed big time with God and others and they know they need to be forgiven and they know they have been forgiven. That's what David is saying is the one that leads to the most blessed life. This, right at the beginning, it says a masculine of David. What does that mean? It says right before the first verse, there, it says a masculine. It's, a masculine is a song or a psalm that gives wisdom and instruction. And it usually starts off with a declarative statement of what life can be like if you actually navigated through it. And then it gets into the actual details of how you get there. 
And so David is declaring that blessed is the one whose sin, whose transgression is forgiven. Living in grand confidence with God. It's the tone of this prayer has a lot of confidence infused into it because he's standing in a confident reassurance that God has forgiven him. And so what this prayer does in creating the good life, which is a forgiven life, it erases the board all kinds of superficial, religious understanding of what does it mean to serve God. Because if you're religious, then you've got to be what? Perfect. That is in our religious mindset, and we think that that's God's expectation. But so much time and energy is spent if we live with that understanding or that I would consider a lie. We spend most of our time trying to cover up our weakness, our mistakes, to try to present a different version of ourselves. And so who we are on the outside is different who we're thinking about ourselves on the inside or God. And it's a fractured life. And what God wants to do is heal those fractures of your heart so you become a whole human being. Made in the image of God. Exemplifying who He is. Imagine a life where you actually have a real handle about what's going on in you. (laughs) Imagine. Knew what's going on in your heart and know that there is someone in your life with the power and will to heal and transform you. And that person in your life has gone to great lengths to demonstrate to you that he is pursuing you with his love and forgiveness. All right, so verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So just in one sentence, David's using two kind of images here. Forgiveness is language of relationship. Forgiveness, or there's a transgression. I did something against someone else, and there's a transgression. But then he goes on and he says, whose sin is covered. Now that's a whole different picture. Whose sin is covered. Sin is failure. Missing the mark. We'll get into some of these Hebrew words in just a minute, but it's just, it's falling short. It's failing. How fortunate is the person whose failures are covered? Think about the first lines in the Bible with Adam and Eve and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The big question was, are people, are humans going to humble themselves and allow God's wisdom to define what good and evil is? Or are humans going to draw the lines where they see fit, try to seize autonomy, and define good and evil for themselves according to their own knowledge? That was the choice in the garden. Are we going to lean into God's wisdom and His way of right and wrong, or are we going to lean on our own, try to be autonomous? And really, that's a myth. You're never autonomous. You're always under some sort of influence and power. And it'd be God. If it's not Him, there's a lot of other sources. So, think, think about this. So, what happened? The first, their eyes were opened in the garden where they fell when they ate the fruit. What happened? It, it says their eyes were opened. They made coverings 
because they felt ashamed. They made their own covering because they felt shame, and they hid from God. And still today, we do and say and think things that we're ashamed of and a good deal of our effort, and our waking hours goes into covering that up. At least that was for me. Probably not for you. You live open and honest lives all the time. But for me, that was a struggle. Verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Or another translation says, lives, lives are lived in complete honesty. Blessed is the man whose lives are lived in complete honesty. There's no deceit. I'm not trying to fool anybody. Blessed is the man. And then he says, look what happens to a human being when we stuff it in. So he transitions. So he kind of gave the big header and then he kind of transitioned. This is what happens when we stuff it in. It says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Man, some of you have been there before. I know I have. Whether it's in your past or your present, you knew it was wrong and you felt ashamed of it and you're bottling it up and you're trying to avoid the fact that it actually happened, and you're, you're just trying to get away from that, and you're just like, if I, could just, if I could just cover this up on my own, if I could just use my own effort and my own, my own strength to just cover this up, maybe it'll all work out for me. But that's the exact opposite direction as to where Psalm 32 is taking us. It's like, uh, I've got three boys, and uh, lunchboxes are always a thing in our house. Um, lunchboxes get left. We go through probably eight or nine in a, in a year with three boys, because they just get left, and then they just, they get raptured somehow. I don't know. They just disappear, but then lo and behold, of course, all the questions, where's your lunchbox? I don't know. You know, are you sure? You know, where's your lunchbox? It's like, I don't, where'd you leave it? I don't know. I don't know. And then you have the, you know, sometimes you're stopping by a basketball game, like, you know, a couple weeks ago, and then you open one of your son's locker and it's filled with lunch boxes. You ever find a, you ever find an old lunch box? Like so nasty. Ever. Or, or maybe the back of the fridge, you know, it's like a Tupperware and it's just like, oh my gosh, and there's stuff growing on it. It's just like, oh man, I've been nurturing my own, you know, biology experiment. In the back, but we, it's our lives are sometimes like old lunchboxes. They need to get cleaned out. They need to be refreshed. They need to be made new. And so as human beings, don't get funky like the old Tupperware, an old lunchbox. It's like, man, I got to keep, it's on you. It's on me that I've got to, before the Lord, I got to keep my heart fresh and clean before him. That the, that the whiteboard of my iniquity is washed clean, is wiped clean, that I've handled my business. It says, you are guilty and ashamed. You can't tell anyone. You're hiding it. You know exactly what it's like for your bones to waste away and your strength to be zapped because you know you need forgiveness. Verse 5 is the center of this prayer and one of the most beautiful acts of confession really in the whole Bible. 
And this is, this is kind of the centerpiece right here. Verse 5, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This compact, brilliant sentences by David here. This brilliant prayer. And it's got three steps. Can I see it? In there, there's kind of three phases He says, first, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I named it out loud. I'm not hiding from it anymore. I'm actually naming it out loud. And it's not just the behavior that I'm naming. It's actually getting in and doing a little bit of the work of like, why did that happen? Why did I choose to do that? What was inside of me? What was the motives inside my heart that that thought that that was okay. So he acknowledges his sin. Here's what I'm covering up. Here's what I've done. He just names it. And then he says, I stopped covering. I owned up to it. I stopped covering. I know guys, and from time to time, guys that I've worked with that you can just kind of tell the disposition of their heart of if they're covering. And there, there's just something about when somebody comes out of living that covered life and into a free, open, like honest life, there's something that falls off of them, this cloud or this funk that falls off. It's really hard to describe, but it's, it's, it keeps them from actually growing. It keeps people from actually, if we don't actually get honest with God and let God know this is exactly what I'm done. I'm done covering up. I'm going to be fully honest with you. When we do that, that enables us to actually have victory in our life. But it's when we stop short of that, when we're enamored by superficial religion and we feel that God just kind of wants us to have a relationship maybe with just the rules and we're just trying to be better, we're just trying to get good at things. It's totally different. Then he says, I will confess my transgression. I will tell the truth about this. I'm not going to, because it's an amazing, amazing thing about our human brain is that there's this phrase, the mind justifies what the heart has chosen. The mind justifies what the heart has chosen. Our heart is really powerful. And it can enable our mind to rationalize and justify just about almost anything. Because it's a heart issue. It's that in our heart we have chosen to go the wrong way. And the truth has a way of illuminating and flushing out our hearts before the Lord. And so there's these three phases to confession. There's also three words for sin in this one verse. There's, in all of Hebrew language, there's three words that connotate sin. And they're all in this one verse, right here. So he says, I acknowledge my sin. Sin, like I said earlier, it's, it's failure. It's moral failure. It's an archery term in that I'm aiming at a target and I'm falling short. It says, if God has a purpose for my life and I'm falling short of that purpose. That's what sin is. It's that I'm continually falling short of the image that God has made me. 
And here, we're here for a purpose, and we can fail to live up to that purpose. And one of the main ways we fail is through making moral decisions where I define good according to what I want it to be, and I'm failing to be what God has made me to be. And I acknowledge it. You acknowledge it. I acknowledged my sin. And he says, so I, I named it, and I stopped covering up my iniquity. Now that word iniquity, of course you probably use that word this week, right? Man, that's iniquitous dishes that I have to do. No, sorry. Iniquitous is probably not a word. Anyway, um, so what's it mean? It says the word comes from a metaphor of life, where life is a journey, and there's a path that's going to take you to the destination that you were made for or that you want. But iniquity is that there's a path to life, but I have chosen another path. I'm not only falling short of my purpose, but I'm actually wayward. I'm actually rebelling. I'm, I'm steering my own course. I'm charting my own way. That's what iniquity means. I've chosen the other path. Intentional or not, I'm doing my own thing. So he named it his sin. This is where I'm falling short. He stops covering up. God, I've been wandering down the wrong path. And I remember in my life, there's these moments where I would get kind of glimpse of like, okay, I've known about God for a long time, but yet I'm not experiencing nor do I kind of want to experience the kind of transformation that I kind of want. I'm kind of a little iffy, and then you just never, you just never get there. And God wants you that, that, that when you bring and lay it all out on the table before him, that God, I'm, I'm giving it all to you. There's mo many moments in my life, and this is why I say this is some, maybe some of the most powerful in all of Scripture to experience transformation is that it's in these times in my own life where I got fully real, honest before the Lord about my own sin. Those were the most powerful times of breakthrough that I've ever had in my life. But it came because I finally got honest and I stopped hiding. And it's, a very, it's very easy for us to slide in to that kind of wayward path, kind of hiding and covering, trying to make it work, hoping that God makes our choices blessed, when actually he's trying to get us back onto his way, into his path. So we should not limit our idea of how screwed up we are just by what I'm aware of. <laughs> Meaning... You're maybe a little more jacked up than you think. Because a lot of times we give ourselves um, the benefit of the doubt because we judge our intentions versus we judge other people's behavior. And so we're really kind of hard on them, but we kind of give ourselves a little pass. But I, I shouldn't limit my knowledge. It's usually it's the person that, if, if the person lives with you, a roommate, a spouse, I bet you they have a grander sense of your dysfunction than you do. <laughs> just because they're around it all the time. You know, it's like you're not as familiar with your own face as other people's are because you're never looking at your own. Right? 
Somebody says I have a great face for radio. So I was like, hey, that's a good encouragement. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Um, But the language of confession cuts right through things by naming it, not covering up. And then lastly, he says, I speak the truth. I spoke the truth about my transgression. It's a willful violation. God, I willfully violated you, violated our relationship. I knew it was wrong, and I crossed it anyway. So David's using all these Hebrew words for sin, brokenness, dysfunction, failure. He's using all these words describing all the ways that we can make horrible decisions as human beings, intentionally or not. He's trying to just capture it all in. It's all in there. So David is saying the best thing for you to live the good life is to get that stuff out on the table before the Lord. That's how to live the good life. And once I know the worst of me is out there, and God's response is, you're forgiven, to experience and know that God's grace is stronger than anything of my mess that I could throw at him, it's so powerful. And look what he describes as a result. The Lord's forgave him. Then he says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful offer prayers to God to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It's trying to create this picture around your life of God's activity. Confident language here. But what's interesting is that he's not confident in himself. He's not confident in his own ability. He knows he's completely jacked up. And the only way through this is relying and being confident on who God is, on who he says he is, on his faithfulness, on his unconditional love. I know I can't keep this together, but I know the one who has fought for me will heal me and bring me through most of us miss out on that for some reason confession doesn't result in this confident empowerment or joy that's out on the other side and this is what the last part of the poem is about why is it why is it that many of us our confession doesn't result in lasting change or some kind of transformation why is that he gets into it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. O rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So he's saying, don't be like a dumb donkey. Don't be like it. Or, you know, you could say dumbass. That would be a dumb donkey. Don't be like that. But a rider, I mean, just imagine, a donkey or a horse, and when, it's, when the rider is riding on it, and he pulls the reins either to the right or to the left, what's that causing? It's a stick of metal that's in a horse's mouth, and it grinds in their teeth and gums, and it gives them negative pain to say, I need you to go over this way. 
And then after a while, it's like, no, I need you to go over this way. But usually what happens about five minutes after you've given that donkey some direction, what happens? Total short-term memory, loss, forgets that you're trying to take him in that direction, and after about five minutes, forgets the pain and begins doing its own thing again. And David is saying, stop being like that. Don't be like that. You were made for more than that. But sometimes even in our own life, we haven't allowed God to really get really down into the roots of who we are. We're kind of staying superficial. And we try to live this life, but it's really, it's about, it's about I'm still trying to go my own way and God is always having to kind of like steer us back, steer us back. And David is saying, do not be like that. This is about a relationship with God. You imagine, and he says, I will counsel you with the look of my eye. Do you ever, I mean, you, you may have had a parent that was like that. You know, didn't need to say anything, would just give you the look. And you knew. You knew, like, oh my gosh, I'm in my own little world. But when I saw a look from dad, it was like, uh oh, ha <laughs> ha. I need to self-evaluate what I'm doing here in this situation. You know, it's like, that's exactly what I want you to do. But this look, and it's not always a mean look that you get from the Lord. It's, 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 always, it's, it's, it's always surrounded with a heart of love. Like, I want the best for your life. Do you not trust me? And so what this donkey is sorry for is the negative consequences of its behavior. Not because he's trying to please the writer, or at least go in the way the writer wants him to go. And that's maybe precisely why confession for many of us doesn't result in lasting change. We don't do the deep work for the reason we make decisions, deep issues about our affections and values. And if we don't go into the motivations of our thoughts and actions and lay it all out before the Lord, we'll never be free. And so like a donkey, the moment, like I said, the moment the rider gets on, get, lets up on the bridle, five minutes later a donkey's doing its own thing. And I've, seen, I've, I've heard people, yeah, I've tried that Christianity thing and it, I tried the religious thing. It's like, no, dude. What you tried was superficial religion and never engaged in a real relationship with Jesus where you got your serious issues out on the table to lay it all out before the Lord for you to allow Him to forgive all that and to heal and restore you. Until you've tried that, you're not in touch with the real thing. And it's time to get off this merry-go-round of superficial religion. Just say, God, I'm tired of this. I want real transformation in my own heart about these things that may have plagued me for a very long time. God, here it is. I'm done hiding. So these prayers and psalms, they're putting down signposts in the story of the Old Testament that are all pointing forward to the great act of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, where God deals with the sin, the iniquity, the transgression, once and for all, for all humanity. And that's what this is pointing to. And the Apostle Paul, it's not up there, but the Apostle Paul kind of picks up this same language from David 
And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The basis of confession is not how sorry I feel. Sorry. Just like last week, you know, praying really hard. It's not about your squints of your eye. I was talking to one guy this week. He goes, man, I saw this other guy. Man, he was praying. He was praying really hard. I'm like, well, what's, what'd that look like? You know, what's praying really hard look like for you? It's like, it, it, it's not about how sorry you, uh, sorry you are, you feel like, maybe I need to feel more sorry. No, it's just purely on the basis of what Jesus has done for you that you can't do for yourself. To forgive your sin, iniquity, transgression. And so that you and I are treated and receive a status that we don't deserve because he received a status and a treatment that we deserve. And it's the divine exchange of the cross to where you truly come into feeling more and more as a son and as a daughter of God that God's discipline or God's work in your life is for a purpose. It's to make you more you. It's to make you more who God created you to be. To see that image that he created you with, to have that come alive and it be expressed not only to the people closest to you, but to be expressed in the earth. So this beautiful prayer of confession, my encouragement is that this week, that if there is anything up on that whiteboard, anything maybe in your way past, in your way past, you're like, man, I thought, but I know that that's still there. I know that that's still impacting the way I see people. It's impacting my emotions. It's impacting my emotions when I'm around other people because of these things. God, is there a time that I can lay this all out before you and get it all out on the table and be like David? I didn't cover up my sin. I named it. I stopped covering. I told you the truth about what my sin is and you forgave me. And the sense of freedom that David describes as rejoicing that God surrounds your life with shouts of deliverance. God is more for your freedom than you are. And that's such a wonderful thing because there's sometimes where we don't want to be free. We're so caught up in our own. It's like a veil right before us, but it's like God wants to remove that veil for you to just come out completely before him to say, God, this is my sin. Take it forgive it and we can stand in that confidence and that joy that he's forgiven it let's pray lord god i just pray that god if there's anything on our heart that god that came up got anything on our radar a little blip on the screen that's coming at us god i pray that this week god we would have god give us the courage and the strength to get in alone with you. God, this can't be done with others. God, it has to be, God, between you and me. And God, today, this week, tomorrow, I'm not going to even, I actually challenge you if there's something on it that you would not go to bed tonight without dealing with it. 
Why delay it another day? Why delay it and kind of just let it keep eating you up? Keep eating your lunch. Keep ruining your life. Why? So God, if there's anything there, God, I pray that you would give us the courage, God, to go back home today and God, to actually do real business with you. We didn't cover up our sin. And we can stand in your confident forgiveness and joy of the Lord. Lord, pray that you would give us that confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.